The High Power Hangout is a podcast that promotes and supports firearms, sports, and firearm safety. I do not support crime, negligence, illegal actions, or misuse of firearms. Always treat every firearm as if it was loaded, point them in a safe direction, and never put your finger on the trigger until you intend to safely fire and always be aware of what's behind your target. Discussions on this podcast, write-ins, or guest appearances are not responsible for your actions or inactions as a result of content covered in the show. Do not use reloading data from the show without working up from a considerably more conservative charge and solely working up until a safe load can be obtained. Good morning, or whatever it is, wherever you are. Welcome to the High Power Hangout. I'm JP, and today is Thursday, July 13th, 2023. A bit of a hodgepodge episode. Some of this was written a little while ago, maybe one or two weeks ago. Some of it's fairly new, so just bear with me here. We're already on episode 23 and crossed a year on the podcast boards just a few weeks ago. Thank you for sticking with me and giving me the encouragement and material I need to keep this thing going. Some of you are already in NRA Nationals mode for the High Power Championship at Camp Atterbury, Indiana. I hope you're either shooting well or at least planning on doing so, so I wish you the best of luck. As we get this thing kicked off, and speaking from a recent mistake here, a little reminder to start a very hot day fully hydrated. Hit the ground running. I thought I was surfing on the good side of the hydration wave when I started my last match, and I found out that I was actually clinging on for dear life to the back side of it. If you ain't peeing clear, you ain't seeing clear. I've talked about hydration on a prior episode, but it's so, so, so important. On a normal, comfortable temperature day, dehydration often leads to vision struggles, cramping, impaired brain function, and even worse, impaired brain function. The only benefit to it is that you just don't have to pee as often. Now, if we push the temperatures up to the high 90s and 100s and high humidity, you might have yourself an impending aquatic disaster. Is it too soon to be making submarine jokes? Yeah, better not. I feel like that might implode on me. So, get your drink on aggressively, especially when it's hot out there. I had a three-hour drive to the range that morning, and I even spared the coffee that morning for a 3 a.m. wake-up. I downed two and a half liters on the way over there, and I was still behind the ball. More about that later. On a different topic, I also had this idea that I've been throwing around recently to get a head start on the next season. I might lose some people here, but for those of us that are seasonal shooters or take a few months off during the winter, or even people like me who just aren't super seasoned veterans with 15 or 20 years experience, there's a handful of matches at the beginning of the season where I'm trying to get back into peak performance. For me, it's struggling with the feeling of how each position feels. For example, rapid sitting. I know my zero, I know my sling position, I know where my elbows go, but for the first few matches, it feels really awkward. And I move around trying to figure out which part of my position is set up incorrectly. That's not fun. I don't like that, and it'd be nice to feel like I'm in the zone at the kickoff of the spring season. So, referencing some of Conrad Power's YouTube videos and adopting some of his ideas, I thought it would be useful to go to the range with a GoPro while I'm at my peak comfortability, confidence, and performance and video record each position and talk about how each position is set up. I mean really, really, really talk about it. For example, in offhand, and I'm going to get a little specific here. My heels are X amount of inches apart. My toes are this much apart. Here's what it looks like from my point of view in the standing position. Here's where I'm putting the bottom of the rifle butt into my shoulder. 
This is where I'm setting up my left elbow down on my hip and how far my hip is cocked forward. This is my head position distance from my nose from the T-handle, my cheek weld pressure distance from the eyebrow to the scope. You get it by now. That's the idea I'm looking for. Now I see a few drawbacks to this and I primarily recognize that getting too specific with things may lead me astray with respect to different ranges and target heights and so on and so forth. So I'll have to throw in some discretion with a lot of it. I think that there's also some certain aspects of my position that eh, maybe I'm only 98% solid with, but maybe I'm missing that last 2%. So I'll have to remind myself about that in each of these videos. I brought this idea up to a few people just to get their thoughts on it. Most people thought it was a pretty good idea and gave me some encouragement. Some people didn't, and I would say it's probably 60-40. Another high-level shooter brought up an interesting point that this may actually detract from getting better performance that I'm hoping to as a shooter. I'm, I'm not sure how to describe this, and sir, if you're listening, I'm just doing the best to recall our conversation from a few weeks ago, so I might be paraphrasing some things and uh, just kind of portraying the feeling I got afterward. I think his point was to describe that if I reset myself where I am now at the beginning of the season, I might be chasing myself down the wrong rabbit hole continuously. Basically, the way I understood his suggestion in non-shooting terms was that if I'm trying to drive from, say, Minneapolis, Minnesota to Omaha, Nebraska, the best way in most cases would be to take I-35 south from Minneapolis and catch I-80 west to Omaha. But if for whatever reason I'm set on driving southwest on some rural highway out of Minnesota, which is a slower route, I'm focusing on resetting myself on that highway each time I make the drive, and I'm not really progressing towards a faster drive. In shooting terms, I may actually be developing a lot of the same poor habits year over year. I think part of his point was that as we improve ourselves over the long term, even with the off-season in the winter months, we're still developing towards a better product. So, in competition terms, in a different perspective of what he's saying, if I keep resetting myself in the beginning of each season at the same starting point of, say, oh, 65% of potential using my own videos that contain errors and poor habits or setup process errors, that's different than maybe not starting there, working maybe from 75 or 80% potential at the beginning of the season after a reset, and letting some of those bad habits disappear throughout the season. Now, that's a lot to digest here. I definitely see what he's saying, I think, and admittedly agree with a lot of his viewpoints. I just know that I get frustrated at the beginning of the season thinking to myself, now what was I doing last year in Rapid Prone that was leading to good X count clean targets, and I'm not doing it this year? What is that? I suppose these answers probably come with years of experience, and eventually I'll understand it, but it's all a learning process. Today we have a pretty good lineup, and it might be the last episode before a few weeks at Camp Perry. We have Cup Week, we have Board Week, and last but not least, Nap Week. Let's look ahead to the episode. Our results run down from a hot weekend in western Illinois, a non-traditional technique talk to talk about the fashion faux pas of high power, a mental machine to talk about the mental preparation away from the range, and a range shout-out for a beautiful range making a rebound from uncertainty in its future. Lots to talk about, so let's get moving. Alright, I've already alluded to how the last match went out in Milan, Illinois. It was, in a word, 
roasty. I was looking forward to this match in order to get some valuable practice before Camp Perry. Saturday called for an 80-round Open Championship, and Sunday followed with a 50-round EIC leg match. The season had been going fairly well up to this point, so I was feeling confident that I could, as I've said before, hang with the big dogs. I want to make a quick observation here. When I say big dogs, this is what I mean. There were 23 competitors on Saturday. Out of those 23 competitors, 8 of them were in the master category. The remainder were all high masters. If my history is correct, nearly a dozen of them have either won national championships as individuals or as part of a four- or six-man team. Those kind of big dogs. Now, to be honest, I thought those numbers were really cool. 23 fairly experienced shooters, all battling it out. Until someone had to say it and bring up another interesting fact. When a match is full of masters and high masters, it leaves a lot of entries missing in the sharpshooter, marksman, and expert categories. While that means there's a lot of stiff competition, it also means that there's a lack of new shooters competing with us. I didn't like hearing that, but hey, it's a fact, and it's a really good observation, but it's so true. Time to get new shooters into this sport. Getting back to the topic here, let's just rip the band-aid off and get that part over with, and it wasn't pretty. 784 with 26x on Saturday, and a 481 with 10x on Sunday. Not overly difficult conditions, just a really bad weekend. Truly, I could not put my finger on it. For some reason, I felt distracted by external factors, and it was a little tricky to get things settled down and really get into the groove. Everyone has these days, or in my case, entire weekends, and my number just happened to come up this weekend. So, at the risk of maybe losing the confidence of a few listeners here, it's time to get a little overly honest, and I wrote this part shortly after the match, which was a few weeks ago, so we've completely cleared out. But after a really bad weekend of shooting, a lot of thoughts were plaguing my brain for the following day or so. How did I perform so poorly compared to my previous matches? Did I already peak this season and now I'm on the downslide? What the heck is going wrong here? Do you maybe not smell so fresh down there? Man, it was tough to get those evil, creepy, crawly demons out of my head and just press on. Way easier said than done. Reflectively, I think it took about three days to shake off that self-inflicted punch to the gut. Here are some things that I thought about that I think really helped out. With this first one, I'm not comparing myself to anybody, but everybody has their rough patches. After some brief research on the interwebs for this episode, NASCAR Cup Series champion Martin Truex Jr. once went on a 54-race dry spell without a win almost immediately after just winning the series championship. Now he's back, he's more aggressive, he's faster, he's doing it with most of the same team supporting him. My boy Kyle Busch got tangled up in an accident in Daytona in 2015 and broke his tibia, fibula, and ankle in his head-on accident with an unprotected wall. That same season, he came back to win the 2015 NASCAR Cup Series championship. The same year, he broke his legs. Again, it's not the same situation we're talking about by any means, but it's helpful to reflect upon maybe some of your idols or heroes uh, that have done the same. Secondly, I know the mistakes that I made throughout the match. Saturday was ungodly hot, and I was just a bit dehydrated. I can hear what I call the dogs barking in my ears during slow prone. 
That's where you can hear your heartbeat in your ears and it sounds like dogs barking. That was my fault. I held a shot way too long in offhand, and I had a dreaded 7 yip at 4 o'clock. My fault. I had a late shot and rapid prone during the leg match, resulting in a 6 at 12 o'clock. My fault. I know he's not listening here, so I'm pretty confident saying this, but I'm actually not convinced that the junior behind the clock in the pits wasn't actually running a 60-second timer instead of 70 seconds, that little bugger. I also lost the 600 shot when wind conditions were changing, not when they were constant, leading to a loss of three to four points over the whole 600-yard string. So, again, my fault. These issues can be cleaned up. Total silly mistake points? Well, at least 10 to 15 over the weekend. Glad we're doing the silly stuff before Perry, not at Perry. Now, the third point I want to make, and maybe this is for me, is that sometimes it's just humbling to shoot below your average. Lord knows that I need that every once in a while. One of my favorite comedians, Bill Burr, sometimes talks about some of the times he bombed on stage in front of the crowd. If we're lucky as listeners, he'll also talk about some of the things he did afterward to make sure it didn't happen again. One of the things he definitely doesn't do is use the same material. So, considering my equivalent of bombing on stage is making silly mistakes at a high power, we'll put those mistakes aside. In my opinion, this humbling is a great experience to go through because, for me, it meant that I had to go back and really analyze everything that I was doing questionably and maybe see where I was starting to deviate out of my own performance envelope causing points to leak out. Obviously, it's easier looking back to say to yourself, Good, you needed that. And then as one wiser man once said, write it down, turn the page. So a second place finish on Saturday and a fifth place finish on Sunday. Needless to say, I was happy to be on my merry way home. I even bought two McFlurries on the way home. One just because I was happy to finish out the weekend and the other to put food in my mouth and muffle all that whining. Well, we really haven't done a technique talk in, well, probably closing in on nearly a dozen episodes, and I'm not sure this even qualifies as a technique, but I thought this would be a good topic to discuss, and that's the attire of high power. I guess if you have a plan for your clothing, that's technically a technique, so cool, let's use it. And I'm just realizing that there's construction going on outside of this recording area, so forgive me if you hear trucks or whatever driving by. I want to dive headfirst into this and talk about the importance of how we dress because I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned from a lot of them and I've seen a few items recently that may not necessarily help you shoot better, but also help the day go by a little less, well, uncomfortably. First off, the importance of how we dress. Next time you're at the range, take a look around and see what people are wearing. Do we all fit some kind of mold? Let me guess, long pants, cotton t-shirt, baseball-style hat, some sort of boots. Am I right? Why aren't we all out there in shorts and tank tops and flip-flops? Probably because we're not shooting F-class. On the other side of the coin, why aren't we all out there dressed like professional golfers? Well, there's good reason for that. Let's work from the ground up. The shoes, or rather, boots. When I started getting back into this sport a few years ago, I showed up with some sort of Cabela's extreme cold waterproof boot to each of the matches. 
I wish I could go back and slap myself. I bought these when I was in college at one of the coldest cities in the contiguous 48. During my first year, we saw raw temperatures reach 46 below with a wind chill of 64 below. So yeah, waterproof and cold proof boots were a necessity. Unfortunately, flash forward, those were the only boots I had when I started high power and it was horrible in the heat. So what makes an ideal boot? Well, for starters, one that's not built to trap heat, dummy. And wait, why a boot and not a sneaker? Well, to answer your question, go throw on some of your sneakers and go straight into your sitting position. You should immediately notice that your NPA is lower due to the slimmer design and there's less support under your knees due to the sneakers flexibility, which you'll likely feel in your feet as they get crushed together. And also there's less ankle support. Boots win, in my opinion. Dan Lowe likes to suggest a flat-soled boot, one that doesn't boost up your heel like a prom date, causing bowing and weird stuff in your offhand stance. I gotta agree with him there. I took one of his offhand courses a few years back, and he suggested an Oakley Light Assault boot. I needed a new pair, they were on sale, and thanks to Amazon, they were there the following day. Find a boot that's flat, supports your ankles, feels good in all three positions, and it doesn't heat up too much during the match. I pair these up with a set of bamboo socks from Amazon, and I'm a happy camper for the entire day. Moving on up. Pants, why not shorts? Well, go back to sitting again. Go practice rapid sit for 30 rounds and tell me that your left knee or right knee for all you backward shooters isn't getting raw from your shooting jacket. Also, sunburn. More exposed skin over the years will lead to nasty after effects of sun exposure. I don't think shorts are going to offer much of a comfort advantage over pants even when you consider airflow basically due to sunburn. And wearing boots with shorts. It's a goofy look, unless you're in one of those Dylan Precision catalogs, you know what I mean. <laughs> or apparently F-Class matches. Yeah. Consider the fabric of your pants. Jeans are great. Cotton nylon spandex golf pants are not. Yoga pants, while great in some situations, are less than ideal in a high power. Why? Grip. We use our pants more than we think for support. During offhand, yeah, maybe not so much, but sitting? I rely on them not to slide around under my left elbow where it meets the left knee. My girlfriend one time was nice enough to get some light and somewhat stretchy tech pants for high power. Her thoughts were wholesome. I mean, they were. It was, they're light enough to breathe, they're flexible for the positions, and so on. But when I gave them a try on the range, my elbow placement in sitting was sliding all over the place. Not great. And for prone, my right knee being brought up to the side had a significant amount of sliding about. I appreciate the gift, but we'll move that pair of pants to the other sports category. Shirts also fall into the no-slick category. Even if you wear a sweatshirt over a somewhat slick golf shirt or polo or a t-shirt, you're going to feel the effects of slipperiness in your shoulder during sitting and prone, and maybe even offhand. I highly recommend a cotton t-shirt here. Cotton is fairly grippy against the skin, even when it's wet, as opposed to the other end of the spectrum, silk. So, if it ain't cotton, it ain't botten. 
Thankfully, there is a plethora of NRA and CMP shirts, White Oak shirts, and so on that are available. Avoid shirts with spandex, nylon, polyester, and the like. If it's slippery and comfortable like pajamas, leave it in the closet. That's where I'll end most of my clothing types because the type of hat you wear throughout the day is kind of your own preference. But protect your ears, please. Throw some sunblock on the top of those ears. I've had a lot of coworkers that get the tops of their ears shaved down because of the skin cancer growing up there from years in the sun. Just to make a short pivot, here are some items that I've seen over the last year that help shooters get through the day. Last year, I noticed a fellow wearing SPF fishing shirts with a hood during times he wasn't on the firing line. His reasoning was that he was allergic to most of the sunblocks. So he had a very lightweight hooded long sleeve shirt by Columbia that acted as a sun barrier. It was actually UPF. Personally, I find it annoying to put on and reapply sunblock when I'm out at the range, especially if I'm away from the facilities where I can wash my hands with soap and water. I tend to get it in my eyes, on my equipment, you get the picture, it's gross. So I bought two of these shirts from Columbia and they work really, really well. And they're so lightweight that they aren't overly hot in the summertime. Consider giving them a shot if you're curious. They're not shooting shirts, but in between relays, you can use them to keep away the sun. Columbia isn't the only brand that makes these, so shop around and find out what works best for you. The second item that I have in my bag is a set of stretchy 75 UPF sleeves. Basically, they cover my forearms from my wrist to the under part of my t-shirt sleeve. I've worn these at work when I'm going through days of direct sunlight in lieu of sunblock, and I find them to be a great substitute since sunblock kind of stains my white work shirt and puts white smears on my black work pants. These bad boys were only $12 on Amazon and are convenient to carry around. As an addition, and I'm not sure if this is maybe part of the design, but I feel like the sleeves offer a cooling feeling in the wind. My guess is that they just trap the sweat and that the evaporation of the sweat into the wind releases cooling on the skin, which is probably just what I'm feeling. Just a guess. Of course, with most random knickknacks on Amazon, I'm not exactly sure what brand these are, but they say tough and UPF 75 on them. I picked out a set of gray sleeves so that the carpet matches my hair. So to recap some of my opinions and suggestions, boots are a must, they should be comfortable, extend beyond the ankle and have no heels. Pants should be denim or similar, not swishy or slickery. Even those Tactical 511 pants with 1100 pouches and attachment slots are not going to help you in high power. Shirts should be cotton and not slick or swishery. And protect your dome and your ears with a hat or some SPF. I'll end it there and you take what you want from it. Hopefully something here was either helpful or useful or maybe it identified a weak link in the chain for your high power fashion week, which is coming up. All right, my party people, welcome back to one of my favorite segments, the mental machine. Today is a quick one, so forgive me for being short. Recently, my round count going down range has been suffering, and with the big match coming up, I have to sometimes revert back to the mental game just to keep sharp on my processes. For reference, in May alone, I shot 720 shots in competition. In June, just 210. Certainly, that feels like a void in my summer month, but with work and life, it just happens. 
I want to share some things that I do to prevent my mental focus and attention from dwindling into mush while I'm away for weeks at a time. And my favorite way to fight that is to focus on my high power thoughts away from the range. If you've ever been a consistent runner or swimmer or worker outer, especially if you do these things at, say, first thing in the morning every morning, you're probably familiar with the feeling of, I should be working out right now, or this is normally my running hour, I feel like I should be running. I think a lot of people who shoot matches multiple times per month or even a week experience the same feeling at times. I usually take this feeling as a chance to remind myself that it's been a while since I've been on the range and it's time to go through a mental match, if you will. In one of my past mental machines, I talked about mental imagery and in a nutshell, that's what I'm getting at here today. Part of this strategy or training, if you want to call it that, came from my favorite book with winning in mind. In that book, Basham talks a lot about imagining what it's like to execute perfect shots. I use that technique a lot in my offhand, which I've talked about before. I have taken that technique a few steps further in order to prevent my shooting skills and range day activities from diminishing too badly. So let's dive right in. When I have anywhere between 15 minutes to maybe a half hour, I find a quiet place to just relax. Considering I'm on the road a lot, usually it's a hotel room, in a cab ride, or at breakfast or lunch or whatever. My goal is to mentally shoot a 50 or 80 round match. I call it mental imagery and some call it meditation, but to each their own. Primarily, I'll work on really focusing my brain on what it's like to work from the start to the end of a match. That would include tasks like having my Creedmoor cart prepared, have my equipment loaded, walk up to the firing line for offhand, and so on. Now, when I say imagine, I try to think about everything I can think of. Everything. Surrounding people, seeing targets set up downrange, maneuvering my cart around the scorekeeper who's in my way of getting to the firing line, maybe the wind, the sun, the clouds, sound, smells, temperature, match, jitters, everything. I'll go through getting into the firing line, setting up my cart and scope, loading my 20-round offhand pouch, putting on the shooting jacket, hearing the line officer call pre-preparation timing, you get it. I will run through as many sensory items as I can, including the shot process for as many shots as I can focus on. Yes, it's incredibly challenging for me to get through a 20-round string without starting to get a blank stare or drifting off into Narnia International Spaceport but I think it's a good exercise in mental dexterity and stamina, which will pay off in the future. Now, that's a lot to ask of my little pea brain. I've fallen asleep numerous times, numerous times. Sometimes I'll even start this process and end up finding myself thinking about the weirdest stuff like, when's my next oil change or why do you drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? I think it takes a lot of mental practice and discipline to even get close to finishing a match in your mind. Admittedly, Sometimes I'll even start at different phases of the match. For example, rather than starting every time at offhand, maybe I'll start it at rapid prone. I'll go through the mat setup and scope setup, work on setting out my mags and setting up my zeros. You see what I'm doing here. Some people may be thinking, why does he think about so many things in the setup rather than just the shot process? Well, for starters, I don't want things to surprise me when I get back on the range. For example, if I take an entire month off and think about absolutely nothing related to high power, going into a match cold turkey presents some unexpected challenges. 
Obviously, I'm not going to forget something important like loading a magazine or anything like that, but I may forget something minor, such as setting a parallax adjustment or putting on the correct shoulder strap settings on my shooting jacket. With mental imagery, I try to think about that stuff so my brain is conditioned to think about these steps during the actual physical match setup. Getting myself to actually do this practice is fairly tough. Honestly, it's like physical exercise for me. I know it needs to be done and I know it'll help me, but I'd rather go eat string cheese or write a podcast segment. I have to really challenge myself to do 15 to 20 minutes of this a few nights per week before falling asleep. If this technique is something you're considering, I highly encourage setting apart some dedicated time to doing it. Not something like, yeah, I'll get to it later this afternoon or I'll do it while I mow the yard next week, but rather I will do this at 3 p.m. with my office door closed or I will do it every morning while I'm sipping on my coffee. Something like that. Try it. Let me know what you think. I think you'll surprise yourself with the effectiveness of it and if all else fails, maybe you'll just find a new exciting way to put yourself to sleep at night rather than just watching reruns of JAG on USA. I haven't done any new rain shoutouts for a bit, so I thought this would be a good time to get into one. This one is for the Racine County Line Rifle Club near Racine, Wisconsin. On the list of beautiful ranges, this one is near the top. This range is situated along the east coast of Wisconsin, which is a phrase most people don't utter out of their mouths, which isn't meant to be a cheese pun. <laughs> yes, it was. Those cheesers really know how to set up a range. The range fires eastward with a tall berm between the pits and Lake Michigan. From the pits, you can get a great view down the cliffs towards Lake Michigan and see the gorgeous blues and aquamarines all across the water. While the cliff overlook is a beautiful view, it causes some really challenging winds if they're coming from the north, the south, or even worse, the east. The high power range is a very straightforward range. Imagine a nice long driving range for golfers. It's a standard 600 yard high power range with a concrete firing line at the 200 yard line and grass lines at the 300 and 600. The range is capable of utilizing 20 firing points, each using electronic targets. They use the shot marker electronic target system and do a great job of a quick setup and teardown. I've had the privilege of attending the 50 round league night on Thursdays and a few 3 by 600 yard mid-range matches and a 300, 500 and 600 yard mid-range match. The pace of play is a little slow in the mid-range due to what I call standard F-class stuff. Just F-class doing F-class things. On the other hand, the high power league on Thursdays afternoon is just peachy. What my Tuesday night league at Bonfield, Illinois lacks, the Thursday league at Racine, Wisconsin makes up for. My Tuesday league is shot at 200 and 300 yards in some really stable conditions due to wind protection on all sides of the range. I think this range is great to work on new techniques, processes, load development, and other aspects that can be thrown off by challenging winds. On the opposite side of the spectrum is Racine, affectionately known as my 200, 300, and 600 yard fitness facility. The wind conditions are usually fairly challenging here and it gives me a chance to really focus on my 600 yard game. The winds are switchy and without a lot of wind flags present, it can catch you off guard and make you just want to quit high power. I've learned a lot shooting here and I really enjoy it each time. During the Thursday night league matches, the match director does a fantastic job keeping the pace moving regardless of how many shooters are present. Target setup and swapping and teardown are all really efficient. 
The pace of play throughout the match really forces me to get an efficient system together for prep, firing, and cleanup at each firing line. And if you think it's just going to be you versus the range, you're wrong. Racine matches often attract great competition from all over the upper Midwest. The match director himself went distinguished in some ridiculously short timeline, like less than six months from first points to legging out. I don't remember what the numbers were. Other attendees have been former national champions and junior national champions. Be prepared to bring your A-game when you get here. On the flip side of the coin, it's a great place to learn from others if you're still developing. I've shot with shooters of all classifications here that are all working on their game. It's a great group of folks that are great to shoot with. Right now, they're on a short hiatus for an ecological study or something like that, but the range will be back in action in October of 2023 for more matches and get-togethers. But don't let that get your hopes down. These guys will shoot as long as they can into the fall and winter. They're the reason I carry a right-handed golf glove for cold days. They've battled the uncertainty of having the range shut down and they came out ahead, so you can bet they're taking every opportunity to make future matches worthwhile. I'm really glad they're sticking around in the future, and you can check out their website and event information at RacineCountyLineRifleClub.com. R-A-C-I-N-E CountyLineRifleClub.com. Okay, it's time to call it quits for the day. This will be my last recording for a little while. I'll be attending the CMP Cup matches for the 2400 aggregate and then be back in action for the President's 100. I'm really excited to get back to the matches this year. I don't have the expectations of finishing with the same outcome as last year, and I think that's a good way to attack the busy two weeks. My plan is to do the exact same thing as last year. Use the cup matches as a three-day warm-up and equipment test, and shoot my ass off during board week and utilize the processes that I've been working on over the last three years or so. In the meantime, I'm going to review some data from the last Tuesday night league match, get my backup rifle zero thanks to a rebarreling at the White Oak shop. By the way, I want to give a shout out to them for just a little personal touch. You may or may not remember that I name all my uppers so that I can keep tabs on them over time. They were kind enough to keep the name Mildred on the rifle and even put it on the invoice forms when they shipped it back to me. So I just want to say thank you for the thoughtfulness to the White Oak team. The new backup rifle, or maybe even the primary rifle, will be named Giselle, for reasons I'll talk about in future episodes. Two reminders, especially with Atterbury and Perry coming up. Send me those shoutouts for people doing outstanding jobs. I haven't received any yet, and this is a fresh thing, so I'm all about giving people some praise for some hard work. Send it to me, jp at hphpodcast.com. I don't care what level the shooter is at or even what the circumstances are. Just shoot me a message and I'll get it taken care of. Also, as we have that momentum going into nationals, whether you're shooting vintage, long range, mid range, whatever, keep that enthusiasm going and get some new shooters to the range. Let them see how excited you are, not only just for the nationals or regionals or state matches or whatever, but also for your monthly matches at your local ranges. Mentor that shooter. Teach him or her what's going on so they'll feel less intimidated, more involved, and more a part of your group. Keep on them. Keep them coming. Don't let them make excuses for not showing up. Give them the old hook, line, and sinker and get them hooked on our lovely sport. By doing this, you preserve the future of our sport and keep it from dying out. Thank you for listening and shoot well over the next few weeks. You can reach me anytime 
at jp at hbhpodcast.com. That's HBH for the High Power Hangout. Remember to make every single shot count. I'll see you on the next one.